It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, nationally. We take some questions from the audience and, and do much, much more as we continue to practice uh, social distancing and, and safety. And uh, we continue to try to bring this podcast. And, and Rick has been a, a maven of sorts of setting things up logistically. And we're kind of on like our third incarnation of this in the last uh, five weeks. And, and this is kind of week two of the way we're doing it. Uh, actually, week three, we're doing it via Zoom. And it's worked out pretty well so far, Rick. Yeah, I've actually had some people comment that they think it's better now that we're not in the same room well, with no a question mixer about and microphones <laughs> and everything else than it was when we were doing it together. So I'll take it. Um, I guess it's sounding well enough that people are able to listen to it. And uh, I've, I look forward to this podcast every week. I've had a lot of fun continuing it. appreciate all the questions that people have been chiming in for us. We've gotten a lot more than I expected in terms of participation on Twitter and email and uh, everything else, even people in, in person. I was over at Kroger's the other day and somebody was actually listening to the podcast while they were shopping in Kroger's and happened to run into me. I so, think that's fabulous. Yeah, that was hilarious. That, that, that That's actually very, very good stuff. Um, a, a couple of things here. Now, now, I'm sure you've seen this because we're, we're, we're two gambling degenerates at heart. We really are. I and mean, there's nothing to gamble on, but um, the NFL draft, uh, a bunch of places, uh, especially, I believe it's, uh, I think it's DraftKings that, that has the website, uh, in, in Indiana that you can go bet if you wanted to, you have to drive to Indiana to do it if you have the app, but they've set a bunch of different prop bets for the, uh, for the NFL draft. So I'm going to ask a prop bet of you, Rick, in, in a normal week these days, in a seven day full week, <laughs> I'm going to set the over under on showers at two and a half over or under. Oh wow! So this is uh, this is this will be shocking to you, but I am way, way, way over. In fact, I might be wow. showering more than I normally do because I'm at home and have the opportunity to do so. Uh, I'm like OCD about that. I I like get yelled at it, I yelled at for it all the time because I'll shower three times a day. Wow! Really? Yeah, almost every like if I go do something, I'm a sweater. So like if I go outside and do something, I walk the dog, I come back in, I shower immediately. Okay. See, I, I'm, I, that's the one thing I'm not, I, I don't sweat a ton. I, um, I, my old radio partner, Tom Gamble and I, we would play softball. Um, you know, you'd go play these tournaments on a weekend and, and uh, believe it or not, he was actually a pretty good player. I've never seen anybody sweat like that guy did. I mean, he would go through 12 shirts in a, in a Sunday afternoon tournament. I've never, but me, I, I don't sweat. So I, I, I'm kind of like, I, I love to take walks right now. I'll, I'll take a you know, kind of 30 minute walk in the morning. And if I've got time late in the afternoon, about another 30, 45 minute walk, but, uh, but I don't sweat. And so, um, and I am, I am literally during, during normal business activities, I am get up, shower, shave, hit the floor, go. If I, if I go do something and I'm like in a smoky environment, I, I might shower again that night. So I, I'm, I'm not as OCD as you are, but I am pretty, pretty regular with it. But man, I am, I think if you set the over under for me at three and a half, I'd have to take the under. I, I'm like every, third day right now and and um shaving every third day i just i feel i feel awful that i'm saying that but it just it is what it is yeah no i totally understand it and i mean like the shape i don't grow facial hair anyway so it's not like anyone can tell but like i've been lax on the shaving thing and all that but the shower i mean i'm well over 14 within the last week without question <laughs> wow I, that, that that might be the upset of the day i i am i am i am not, yeah. not that it went not that it went over two and a half don't get me wrong but the the doubling of of the days of the week for showers that that's kind of yeah the upset people, of the day. like like my girlfriend gets legitimately mad about how often i shower 
<laughs> See, I would think it'd be the opposite, to be quite frank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think it's a waste of water at some point in uh, in some people's minds. So cleanliness is next to godliness, as you know. That's what I always say. And and who would who would argue that I am pretty close to the G O D? Godly. Yeah. No yeah. question. Yeah. No question. All right. We got a lot to get to. Hit it off. All right. It's finally upon us, Skinny. The Bengals just select first overall in Thursday's NFL draft, and all indications are that there will be no surprises, and we'll hear Joe Burrow's name called during that pick. The question is. What do the Bengals do next? So I pose that question to you. What do you think the Bengals do with their second round draft pick, number thirty-three overall? I think they'd be they they'd be hard pressed not to trade it because I think there'll be some trade offers. And I think that when you look at all the positional groups, I don't want to say that they need, but that they need to add to, which would be linebacker. I, and I do think they need linebacker. I don't know if there's a a guy at thirty-three that would fall from the first round of there, and I don't think there's. There's guys rated in that area at 33 that would make them take, uh, you know, take a reach at a guy who's maybe 50th on their board. Um, certainly, offensive line. I don't think anybody can argue that, especially offensive tackle. Um, believe it or not, cornerback maybe because while they're pretty well stocked this year, you know, William Jackson's in the last year of a deal and he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire of late. Mackenzie Alexander's only on a one-year deal, and despite the fact that you, you look like you've got a, a dearth of cornerbacks right now, um, you can look up after 2020 and go, wait a minute, we only have three guys left that we think can play in this league. So that, that's the spot. I, I just think there's so many, and obviously it's such a wide, deep wide receiver class while you can argue and wait till the third, fourth round and still think you can get a quality guy. I, I just think that when day one is over, it always happens, and the Bengals will probably be in this group too. They'll look and go, wow, I can't believe this guy fell or these guys fell. And I would think somebody after day one, when you have the the day to chew on it, the night to chew on it, a whole day to, to talk about it as, a, as an organization, that they don't get offered for it. So I, I think they sit chilly. I think they're able to move back and get an extra pick or two in, in the draft, uh, either this year and or next year. And then whatever's best on the board, say they move down to 40th, 42nd, whatever, be it tackle, linebacker, um, you know, wide receiver even, they go there. I, I just think they're such an and, and as much as they're in an enviable spot to, to pick number one overall in this draft because you get to choose the guy you want, I think they're in a great spot at, at 33 in this draft. So, did, I mean, you're saying that's what you think they will do? Is that what you think they should do? I, I think both. I, I, think that's, I think both. I really do. Now, if there's somebody – I'll just use Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma, Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston as examples. If they're guys that they have rated 18th, 19th, and as I mentioned, those are two positions of of need and at least need to add to. If you've got a couple guys slip from the first round and they're still there at 33, I think that they would pull the trigger barring somebody giving them a a great offer that says, listen, we're going to miss out on Kenneth Murray, but we're still going to be able to get a linebacker that we like. We've got a lot of them we like on our board. Um, we're starting to get offensive tackle we like because we got a lot of them left on our board. Um, I think that's the only way they, they, they don't trade out of that 33rd spot. But I, I just think it's such an enviable position to be in that, that, uh, that they end up getting a good offer. Now, if let's say they have Jordan Love rated sixth on their board, even though I don't think they do, um, and after they drafted Joe Burrow, just because Jordan Love would have slipped to the second round, they're not taking a second quarterback. So there's some realistic parts to, to when you look at a board. Uh, so I, I just, I think they're in such a great spot that I do think they trade out of that 33rd pick unless there is a definitive guy that they're like, man, we got this guy 15th and we were, we're we didn't even think that he'd slip past 18. We can't believe he's still there. We got to take him. That's the only way that I think they take that guy. For one, I would say I, I disagree with you on that. They should trade back with this pick. Like for instance, last year they traded back, right? 
Uh, yes. And, and, they, and, and what they end up with out of that, you'll have to help me because they got Drew Sample, they got Travion Williams, and who was the other guy they got as a result of that? I don't, can't remember if they got Rodney Anderson with that pick or the Rodney Anderson pick was with was it somebody else. Yeah, they had I think it was someone picks. else. I can't remember. I think they might have been cut, whoever it was. Probably because uh, they, they so, ended up having three six round picks, but I think one of those was a compensatory six round pick. So, I, so I get the the point that hey, they need they have a lot of holes to fill still. So, take a chance, get multiple guys here. I tend to go the opposite way. I think you need difference makers, and when you have the first pick overall, which means you have the thirty third pick overall as well, that's basically like having an extra first round pick. Go ahead and take the chance that you can get another playmaker. I don't know that this draft overall is extraordinary deep, st- extraordinarily deep, but one of the positions that the Bengals definitely need is wide receiver. And this draft is very deep at wide receiver. So, like, for me, I'd be looking at it and saying, you know, some people would, would take the approach of, well, okay, it's deep, so you can get your wide receiver later in the third and fourth round and maybe still end up with someone that's pretty talented. I go the opposite way with that. I say if you're picking 33rd in a draft that's supposed to be maybe among the great draft classes of all time at the wide receiver position, chances are you've got a really good shot of getting a first-round caliber receiver, a guy that could be a difference maker from day one. If you can take a quarterback of the future as well as a starting wide receiver of the future in the same draft, we saw how that worked out with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green. I think that would be a great idea. Now, Looking at linebacker, it doesn't seem like – looking at the mock drafts, there have been as many people saying, oh, there's great linebackers available looking to slip to that spot. It seems mostly to be either wide receiver or maybe an offensive lineman. Um, I don't know how they feel. I mean, it's, it's tough for us to grade out offensive lineman prospects as uh, guys who just watch college football a little bit. But the, the wide receivers, I think we can all see, and there's a lot of talent in this draft – I want them to keep that pick, and I'd really like them to use it on a receiver unless they just feel there's a, a great offensive lineman or linebacker there as well. Well, but, but again, that goes back to – and that's where you just don't know a team's board. I mean, maybe there, maybe for them there's a gap between the first five or six wide receivers that might all be gone in the first round and the the next one that they might have at, uh, at 47th on the list, for example. So I, I think that's that's the part that you if, don't know. If that's I, I think the for case, them, then I, take I, the linebacker. I, 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 don't, I don't reach. I think I take – I look at my board, and if my board suggests, hey, trading backwards is not going to hurt us here, let's go backwards, I think that's when you go backwards. But, no, I mean, no, I, I go back to if, – if you've got a guy and you're, you're thinking, I, I can't even use a wide receiver as an example, but, but if there's a guy that, that, that you really love – Well, the Mims kid from Baylor. You, yeah, if, if, he's, if he's there and they love it, and if they love him, and, and, you know, talking to Zach Keller yesterday, he said they're looking for a wide receiver with a specific trait. Whatever that trade is, I don't know if they're looking for a big guy. I don't that catches the ball. Guy. I don't know for, yeah, well, I, I, they're looking for some specific trade. If that specific trade is, is Denzel Mims and he's there, then you take him. And that's where I go back to. Like I said, if you've got a guy that you've rated 18th and he's still there, then yes. But if you're looking and going, well, yeah, this guy's rated 33rd. We really don't need it and we, we're getting a great offer. Let's go ahead and do it. I just, I, I think it's a great spot to be in because you can get the player you want and you can deal backwards if it's just not the right fit. But here's the problem. The Bengals have too many needs to find themselves in a position where they can be at 33rd and there's not someone on their board that they think we need that guy. Like someone at one of those positions is going to be talented enough that you should take them at 33rd, that you've got a chance to get a difference maker, whether that be at linebacker, receiver, or offensive line. It's almost certain to be one of those three spots. If it's a defensive back and they really feel strongly about it, I'm fine with that too. But I'm much more in the camp of 
Go get a difference maker. Last year you traded that back. You got three guys that did absolutely nothing and looked years away from from being contributors on on this football team. So I would go ahead and tr- try my chances at getting the highest uh, pick available. Let me approach it from a different perspective, though, Skinny. What do you think Joe Burrow wants the Bengals to do with that second pick? Um, no offense. I, I don't. I, I'm, I don't care what Joe Burrow. No, thinks. of course, I, of I, course I, not. I'm just, I'm just legitimately asking from his perspective. Like he's if he's coming into this franchise, what do you think he would like to have going with him? Uh, maybe his running back Edwards Hilaire, because he'll probably be there. And and truth be told, I think it's a position that. I don't know if we've talked enough about. I'm not sure I've written enough about because of the Joe Mixon scenario. Um, if I'm him, I, I want to make sure I'm protected. I mean, let's face it. At LSU, they they had a lot of five man protections, and they were able to do it because that offensive line was so good. Which means when you have five man protections, well, how many receivers can you send out? The answer would be five. Very rarely are you able to do that in the NFL because of the way NFL defenses are structured, the way they attack you, and all of those, and the fact that rushers are so good, you have to give help. I, I want as much protection as I can possibly get. And as we sit here today, I still don't know if I can trust the Fred Johnson, Bobby Hart, Xavier, Suofilo right side of my offensive line. I'm with you on that. I don't think you can trust the right side of that offensive line. And maybe Burrow does want an offensive lineman because, like you said, I mean, he, he wants to be hit as little as possible. At the same time, I kind of feel like that, that offensive line – you've got multiple young guys already that you kind of don't know what their future holds. No doubt. Right. And I almost like, I don't know that adding another guy, if it was a first round, like Jonah Williams type where you go, he's going to be a cornerstone of our team going forward. We have no doubt about it, which would be a lie. But if you really felt that strongly about a, a guy that was, you know, in the top three picks or something, then I'd feel much better about taking an offensive lineman. My concern with getting a second round offensive lineman is you just add another body to the mix of a guy who maybe has potential. Maybe he won't work out in the NFL. We don't know. And now you've just got too many bodies like that to where you never know what you have with any of them. And you just kind of, you, they get lost in the shuffle. I'd kind of yeah, like, yeah, but, to I, see but I think I think I want to be able to, to. I'd like to be able to continue to sort through that and figure out who who can play and who can, as opposed to picking guys off the scrap heap just because I need a body. I.e. Bobby Hart. I totally agree. I think I'd like to get through this year, figure out which of those guys are real that you're sticking with going forward. And I mean, you've got again, you've got so many holes on going forward that you can't address them all this year in this year's draft. So I'd feel much better about them going at linebacker or going um, at wide receiver where you have the clear hole, you you know where they're going to fit in as opposed to adding another body to the, the jumble at offensive line. That's already kind of a mess. Yeah. The, the wide receiver one's interesting. And, and you drew the correlation before to Andy and AJ, um, you know, I, I think that, that that couldn't have worked out any better the way those two kind of grew up together. Because um, honestly, I had personally, I had a lot of questions about A.J. Green coming out of college. Um, there were some drop issues. I, I, I never would have envisioned him. I, I never thought he was going to be a bust. I didn't think it was a bad pick. But I didn't envision him being this guy um, who, who's borderline Hall of Fame. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that of watching a quarterback and wide receiver kind of mature and grow together. Um, and come up through the ranks. And, and let's face it, um, the, the Andy AJ marriage worked out honestly great. I mean, the yeah, high really well. pl- I mean, literally, like I said, if I tell you today that they're going to draft Joe Burrow and a wide receiver in the second round and they're going to go to five straight playoffs um, and no more, I'm going to just kind of kind of the same as AJ and Andy, five straight playoffs, no more, would you take it? Yeah. I think your answer would be absolutely I'd take it. I would, yeah. 
Yeah, no question about it. I think there's something about that chemistry too as guys that come in together. Like, yeah, there's some chemistry that's important with the offensive line, but I think it's more important that the offensive linemen have that chemistry than you know the multiple position groups, whereas the quarterback receiver, they have to be on the same page. I think coming in together, you get kind of a little bit of a special bond going. I do think that's worked out for not just Andy and AJ, but multiple duos that we've seen across the NFL over the years. I really like, again, because this draft – is supposedly so loaded. That's not coming from me. That's coming from pretty much every draft expert and scout out there that this is the draft is so loaded at wide receiver. I have to, I wouldn't mind them taking a wide receiver. I have to imagine Joe Burrow would be pretty pleased with that as well. Yeah. And again, that, that, that guarantees you no matter what happens with the AJ Green contract situation, no matter what they decide to do with John Ross, that you've got Tyler Boyd and you've got whoever this guy is, uh, at least moving forward as part of your core at that position. Well, Skinny, the controversy over Joe Burrow kind of changed its tone this week as they finally got to the point of maybe the Bengals shouldn't draft Joe Burrow first overall, and there were multiple scouts and experts who said that Chase Young was actually the best player in the draft and that the Bengals picking Joe Burrow may not be the slam dunk that many think it is. Uh, so I'll ask you, who is, the Bengals are going to draft Joe Burrow, we understand that, but who is the better prospect in your opinion, Joe Burrow or Chase Young? Neither. Neither. Okay. Jeffrey Okuda, to me, is the best prospect in this draft. And, and, and honestly, I, as much as everybody loves quarterback and loves pass rusher, I, there just aren't a lot of shutdown corners in this league. And when you got one and you can just shut down a side of the field, I think it changes everything for a defense. And I think Jeffrey Okuda is just that good. I really do. I know I surprised you with that answer. I know I did. I did. I, um, did. I wasn't expecting- And I'm not here to tell you the Bengals should take him, but I'm just saying – to me, he is the best prospect in this draft, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know that I disagree with that. I think Kakuda is so polished, and yet it, he's not like a guy where you go, well, he's already maxed out and he can't get better or anything like that. I mean, he has all the tools, too. He is, he is elite in terms of a prospect. I can get down with that. To me, and I've changed my tone, I've fully admitted that Joe Burrow is the right guy at the right time for the Bengals, and I think the Bengals should take Joe Burrow. However... I think Chase Young is the best prospect in this draft. And I held long to, I mean, long into the college football season, I was still on the wavelength of the Bengals should take Chase Young because he is going to be a dominant NFL player. I think when you have the first pick overall, you have to make sure it's a game changer. I wasn't sold on Joe Burrow's measurables and um, just him as an overall talent, even though he was putting up great numbers. I thought, more of that had to do with the historically good LSU, LSU team that he was playing on. But by the time we got through the end of the season and through college football playoff, he put on such a show that I admit, I mean, the Bengals have to take him. I don't think there's, there's any other way they can go about it. But if, you're, if you made me bet on who's going to have the better NFL career, I would take Chase Young. If I was to do it today, if we were to put these in a hat and, and whatever, 10 years from now, we, we put $50 in the, in the pot, uh, I'm putting Jeffrey Okuda's name in there for me, if, if, if that's where it is and if it's winner take all. That, that's the guy for me. I, I, I do. I think Chase Young has a chance to be great. I think there were a couple of big games where I didn't think he showed up, and that bothers me a little bit. Um, and some of that's schematics. Some of that might be him, too. And, and it just it did it, – it, it gave me a little pause, but I, I still think the guy's got a chance to be great. I, I think the, the goofy part to it is, if you were to ask me of, of those guys, Joe Burrow's the one that's got a chance to be the biggest bust, to be honest with you. That's, and, that, and that sucks to say that, and I hope I'm completely wrong. And look, I'm on board with it. If, 
if that's the guy they've rated number one and we all think they do and, and they need the quarterback and, and, the, and the fan base is, is clamoring for it, then yes, you have, to, you have to do it. But wouldn't it be something if they took Chase Young and then suddenly it's Jalen Hurts in round two? I don't see that happening. I just I can't see any way in which the Bengals are, are going after Jalen Hurts. Um, but Chase Young, look, I mean, you. Well, I, no, I don't. I, I don't either. I'm just saying, if you're going Chase Young, maybe that's their board. Their board says, "Look, we're going to get Jalen Hurts in the second round. We're going to get the top of day two. Let's go ahead and pull the trigger on Chase Young. Let's do it." I, I, Here's the we, thing. You know what? You know what happened here? The social distancing in this in this area. It would be there'd be so much coronavirus being spread by people that, that that rushed down to Paul Brown Stadium to set it on fire. It'd be insane. Yes, yes, I, I have I have already right. stated that if the Bengals do not draft Joe Burrow, I fully believe that Cincinnati will be set on fire. It'll they be the second need, time that the Ohio River has been on fire. They need to take Joe Burrow just for public health safe sake. They they have to do that, right? Yes, they do. But I I will say, I mean, with the Chase Young situation. You look at what Nick Bosa did for the 49ers as a rookie. I mean, he was dominant as a rookie. I I think Chase Young can be that type of player in the NFL and potentially right away. I get why a team would want to take Chase Young, number one overall, um, but I I think the Bengals do have to take Joe Burrow. And like you said, though, he definitely has – the the probably the biggest probability to be a bust out of the group because I don't think physically he's that special. I think you're gambling and betting on the fact that this guy mentally and what he showed in terms of his presence and his poise and everything and, and, else. And productivity. Yeah, and, productivity. And, and productivity at the end of the year, that that's what makes him special and not so much the fact that he has the elite arm or is a special athlete. And that's scary. I, 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 that is scary. I totally agree. I mean, I, I've I've said from the from the get go that I think you, the guys you've got next year in Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are better options at the at the quarterback position in terms of prospects. Um, but you're at where you're at, and you've got the first pick overall this year, not next year or the year well, after that. Well, the well, maybe you do because we still don't know how the, the if there's no NFL season how this would shake down for a draft next year either. Well, we don't. That's a good. I point. mean, the, there is the possibility that the that the draft order stays the same. Maybe you're the Bengals and you roll the dice and you do chase, take Chase Young just because you know that there's going to be no NFL season in 2020, and you're still going to have that number one pick next year, and then you go get Lawrence. Maybe they're more genius than we think they are. Wouldn't that be something? What wouldn't it be something if they take Chase Young, but then they lay out like through because you couldn't say it because the nfl wouldn't let right, cor- yeah correct but, correct but they, they like through back channels like they tell richard skinner at local 12.com that by the way we're doing that because we're not going to play this year yeah i mean that that if fans listen if you're listening to this podcast before the draft begins tomorrow night and hopefully you are um if the bengals take anybody other than joe burrow and it's chase young then that might be the first sign, sadly, that we don't have a 2020 NFL season on the horizon. They know something. That would be an unbelievable story to have break tomorrow night during the draft. Like, that would just set Twitter on fire. Right, so- right, before, right before the Bengals make that selection, they, they, that, that's the, and that's why. There you go. That would be fantastic. All right, Skinny, still on the subject of the NFL, the New England Patriots have agreed to trade Rob Gronkowski to the Buccaneers in a deal that reunites the retired tight end with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. New England will receive a fourth-round pick, number 139 overall, in this week's draft, and Tampa Bay will also receive a seventh-round pick, number 241 overall. Tampa Bay went 7-9 and nine overall last year and 2-4 and four in the NFC South. Does the additions of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski make the Bucs competitive in the NFC South with the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers? Yeah, because they already had some guys in place, um, and, and they have a really good head coach in Bruce Arians who will figure something out. But I, I think the question is, 
are, are really are Gronk and Brady's best days behind them, and is Bill Belichick just that smart? I, I, you know, he has always been one that says, and, and I'm a big believer in this, and that's where I go to the A.J. Green scenario, is it's better to get rid of somebody a year too early than a year too late. And, and um, that's where I, with the A.J., if A.J. had gone somewhere after, the, you know, this year and played well, and, and, you know, Bengals fans probably would have gone crazy, I still look at an aging wide receiver and say, okay, so, this, so somebody got one more year out of him. We didn't spend crazy money on him. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where this is with, with Brady and Gronk. It's, it was clear, you know, when Gronk retired, he was in a bad place, and he even talked about it. And some of that could be burned out by Bill Belichick, burned out by the, the Patriot way, all of those things. And it just football was no fun for him anymore. And so he decided, I'm done with it. And then this opportunity came about, and he thinks he's going to go enjoy football again in, in Tampa Bay. And hopefully for his sake, he does. Um, but I, I go to the point of, yeah. I, I, I think they're a good team. I still think New Orleans is 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 better. I, I do. And um, you're banking on a 43-year-old quarterback and a, and a tight end who's gotten a living bejesus beat out of him that, that didn't play last year and has got, is going to definitely have some rust on him to, to come back and spark your team. Yeah, can it spark you for an extra win or two? Maybe. Um, but I, I don't know if I put them in contender role yet. Yeah, also I think it's funny how much of a difference people feel like a, a tight end makes. Gronk's great. I mean, he's all-time good. He's a Hall of Fame tight end. Um, But at the same time, like, if you didn't think they were going to be great just by adding Tom Brady, I don't know how the addition of Rob Gronkowski really changes that because he still has a limited role. Now, that being said, the people who are saying, oh, Gronk had clearly lost a step in that final season before he retired, I don't know what you saw. Like, I don't know if I agree with with that. I know he was injured some that year, and he didn't play as much, so his numbers were limited. But in the playoffs, he was the best player available on the field at any game that he played in. He was the best playmaker, period, point blank. He was absolutely dominant, could not be covered. So I do think Rob Gronkowski, especially after sitting out for a year, it's not like the guy's gotten out of shape. All he does is is drink – party and work out so well, he that's is what, that's what he did anyway yeah I mean he looks fine in terms of his body I don't think like he still has the injury issue injury issues but that is what it is like I mean until he gets hurt he is going to be a dominant force in my opinion but it's still limited because it's a tight end so um the Saints are still the best team in this division without question I do think the Bucks are definitely going to be better Tom Brady will make them better and I do think adding two guys who are legitimate winners changes the way you approach things as as a team like that matters in a locker room and and people say well what about the Browns well they didn't add legitimate winners guys who had won multiple world championships they added a guy who was talented but had never won anything in his life and is a loser in terms of a personality and Odell Beckham like those are very different things to adding Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski yeah yeah the the only fear for me is still being away from football for a year is there some rust and at some point Tom Brady is going to he's going to show his age whatever that may be and maybe he did start to show it a little bit last year too oh no um, question he has I, I, I think it's a it's a it's a it's just a big ask to, to believe that a guy who's been out of football for a full year with an injury history and uh, a 40 plus year old quarterback are going to suddenly vault you into a Super Bowl team I, I think that's just a big ass is it possible sure it's just a big I, – I would – if honestly, I would bet against it. Yeah, I, there's – look, I don't think this is a Super Bowl contender. Now, is Tom Brady a top 10 quarterback in the NFL this year? Yeah, I think he will be. So that's a big upgrade from Jameis Winston. Um, and adding Rob Gronkowski to the mix, 
I think he's better than OJ Howard. So like, yeah, I do think that'll be a, a really nice weapon, especially one that Tom Brady is already comfortable and confident in. So, and it, you could argue, and you could argue, and, and to your point, you could also argue that, that Gronkowski is going to be playing with a receiving core that will take pressure off of him because in new England, third and six, who saw coverage on third and six, probably and, and not probably did yeah. him. And that's it. They had nothing. Uh, we did get a question off Twitter that I'll just go ahead and ask right now. Um, with Eifert leaving the Bengals, someone wanted to know, is there any chance they go after O.J. Howard from the Buccaneers now? Yeah, I know, I know that's been floated. I, I, I don't see it. I, I, look, they've got C.J. Uzama, who they believe in. Um, they drafted Drew Sample in the second round last year. Um, they, they, they re-signed Seathan Carter. Uh, that's three tight ends right there. Um, if the price was right, maybe. I just don't know if the price would be right. And I just – I just don't see it. I don't think tight end's a big part of this offense. It's one of the reasons they drafted Drew Sample. They, they want a blocker at that position primarily. Um, so, no, I, I, yeah, I know that uh, people nationally have floated, you know, O.J. Howard of five targets. The Bengals always seem to be the one, one of the five that, that people talk about. The price would have to be very, very right for, for that to happen, and I still don't think it would happen even then. Yeah, I don't it's good think it's, it's a good. It's a good question. It's a legit question. I just don't see it. Yeah, Um I, I, one one last thing on this topic, like, can you think of a parallel to this in terms, like, for the Patriots fans? Because, you know, I mean, there's instances where you lose a, a beloved player at the end of their career or something, or a coach, and, and people will be pissed at them. Patriots fans are obviously losing their minds right now, but this is a unique situation in the sense that you lost your Hall of Fame quarterback, your beloved, you know, star – and he brings back one of your other beloved stars who had retired a year ago and has just been playing sort of mind games with you guys this whole time. Like, will I come back or won't I? Oh, wait, I'm coming back, but not for you. This is kind of a nice little dagger into the Patriots fans who have had it so good for so many years, right? Yeah, the, the only thing I guess like you could do is, is if Michael had taken Scotty to Washington with him. Right, but like that hasn't ha- – and the right. Bulls screwed happen. that up themselves. Like right. I can't think of a parallel to this where you have you're, – you're losing kind of two at one time, but at the same time one of them's coming back from retirement. It's, it's all a very weird situation if you're a Patriots fan and it has to really suck. Like, I would I first, not like this at all. When I first saw that, that report yesterday, I, I had the sound on my television down. I was doing some, some, some work for our website – and I saw a, a, a tweet superimposed on, on TV, and I thought it was a parody. I really did. I thought, ah, oh, this is funny, Gronkowski. And then I thought, wait a minute, that looks that is that that's real. I thought, yeah, it happened so fast that I really really thought it was a parody. It got floated out there, like you, like you know, and you kind of think, oh, this is come on, like you know, this is the natural thing people are going to say, but it, it's a joke. And then it was a real report out of nowhere. And it was all within like a half hour, I think. So. Yeah, I, I thought maybe Vince McMahon's looking for some, some good publicity because Oliver Luck's suing him over his XFL contract and he fired a bunch of WWE wrestlers. So maybe he needs Gronk's name out there to, to promote the next thing. Speaking of which, though, I think in the, I heard this this morning. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But apparently Gronk, based on, on his contract with wrestling, does have to defend his title, whatever that means, whatever that is. That like he has to go wrestle again here at some point. I mean, I would think so. Look, he's in his prime as a wrestler, so it's kind of a big deal that he's just walking away from the mat. Well, what what happens if it's week three on a, a Saturday night? Does he have to go defend it then? I'm going to guess that they're going to kind of figure this out and work around the NFL schedule. You think Vince McMahon cares? 
Here's the thing. Vince McMahon is the only one that can pull off live events right now. So my guess is he's going to milk that for all it's worth and get Gronkowski out there before we get to the fall and into the NFL season. And then he gets hurt and then he never plays for Tampa Bay. God, wouldn't that be unbelievable? He fell off a cage or something. Yeah. My guess is he's going to be very limited in what he's allowed to do. Yeah, I think he's going to take the proverbial dive. Yeah, I think that's Not that it's not fixed or anything, by the way. Oh, no, it's real. It's real to me, damn it. Skinny, just after we ended last week's podcast, Cincinnati added a big commitment from transfer guard David DeJulius from Michigan. DeJulius just completed his sophomore season for the Wolverines, during which he averaged seven points on 41.7% field goal shooting and 36.1% from beyond the arc to go with 2.4 rebounds and 1.5 assists in 20.9 minutes per game. He'll have two years of eligibility left at UC, and he could be on the court as soon as the 2020-21 season, depending on how the NCAA handles its upcoming vote next month on transfers being immediately eligible. What do you think of UC's newest addition? Um, when we talked, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago on the podcast, we were talking about transfer portal guys, you know, for, for Xavier and UC and what would be the best fit, and, and we kind of danced around the, the point guard topic because UC does have a point guard coming in, but, I, you know, I, I always – I said anytime I can get one, I, I want to get one. Um, and usually as we, as we talk, you know, the transfer portal guys are those guys that are, that are a lot of times, not always, and especially now it's changing – are those guys that are have played at the sacred hearts of the world that are looking to move up and, and, and play at a bigger program. And those are always aren't good fits. I mean, you might a kid come out of the big 10 and yeah, I know he was a backup, but he was a quality backup on a, on a big 10 program that was going to be in the NCAA tournament. I think that's a pretty good get. Yeah. A huge, huge, get, especially after you miss out on Jalen Tate. Uh, because this, to me, this is a bigger get than Jalen Tate would have been for UC in terms of their need. Now, Jalen Tate already knows John Brandon really well, already knows his system. He would have fit in immediately, and that would have been great. And you would have known he was immediately eligible because he was a grad transfer. Um, Julius, you kind of still have that gray area. Is he going to be eligible? Is he not? It sounds like from everything we've heard, they're going to pass the rule allowing transfers to be immediately eligible. And even though some people have said it won't go into effect until the following season, that just seems unrealistic to have the rule on the books and you've already kind of been approving most waivers anyway. It, it just seems it seems unrealistic to me that they're not going to allow guys to be immediately eligible if that's what the rule says. So um, I think you can probably count on him playing right away. And UC needed more of a point guard. And not only that, but they needed some offensive firepower to go with their backcourt. And DeJulius isn't the best setup guy. Um, again, 1.5 assists and while he was playing half the game. And in high school, you know, I watched him a lot play for the family in AAU. And again, he wasn't a guy who was great at creating for his teammates or sharing the basketball. He was more of a scorer, um, a score first mentality. But that's kind of what UC needs. They need a ball handler who can shoot and who can score. And he can do that at over 36% from beyond the arc. I got to be honest, I th- you know, the Jalen Tate miss felt kind of big and kind of like, oh man, John Brandon's going to find out what it's like to try to recruit to the American Athletic Conference now. And then he turns around and gets a guy like this. To me, that's a huge get because it also balances out their classes, giving them a guy who's effectively in the junior class, which right. you know they didn't have enough upperclassmen right now. They're kind of young, especially at the point guard position. I really do think this is going to – I think he'll start immediately and he definitely changes. Because now you go from all of a sudden, oh, you got question at point guard. Is Keith Williams coming back, isn't he? Well, now if Keith Williams comes back, which everyone pretty much expects him to. Exactly. You've got a pretty talented backcourt that can really score with the Julius and Keith Williams. And also we talked about the uh, – But what if if Chris Vogt goes? (laughs) 
I don't think that's going to happen either. But we talked about the big kid they added from Colgate last week too, who will play the four for him. I mean, UC's done, you know, I'm not going to say they've done as well as anyone in the country, but they're not far behind in terms of additions through the transfer portal. And I don't know about any anything other than the stuff I read about the kid they just got from from uh, Washington, uh, Trey East, uh, Trey Eason. Uh, but uh, to get a kid from Washington who led his team to a state championship as a six eight forward who can score, that seems like a pretty good get too. Yeah, I think he's gonna probably need some time like most freshmen do. But he's he's a little bit different in that, um, you know, I don't he doesn't have the toughness of Trey Scott right away. Maybe maybe he can develop that down the line. But he has that kind of versatility with he can handle the ball better than Trey does. He's more skilled. So he's kind of a unique face up forward that uh, can give them some of that athleticism and length that they're going to be lacking after Trey Scott has graduated. What did you think of Kentucky getting Obi Toppin's brother Jacob? And, and he's in the same boat of hoping the rule passes to be eligible immediately or will have to sit out. Um, and, and I think you're seeing a lot of these transfers saying to hell with it. We think it's going to pass. And if not, okay, I'll sit out. But, I, I, you know, again, he'd be eligible if they pass the rule. Um, six eight. you know, his brother was kind of a late bloomer. I guess you're kind of taking a flyer on that. What do you make of him? Yeah, I think that's exactly what you're you're looking for, right? Is that maybe it's another late bloomer. Worst case scenario, you've got a practice player and a guy who can maybe give you a few minutes off the bench who has a little bit of experience at the Division One level. But this is around the same time that Obi kind of blossomed into becoming what he became. And uh, so I think maybe you're hoping you catch lightning in a bottle a second time because he did have that unusual growth spurt that not many kids have. Um, so maybe – Maybe he's similar to his brother and a late bloomer, and he doesn't have to be as good of his brother. If he's 75, 80% of that, you've still got a solid player that can help you off the bench. Yeah, right. I mean, if he turns out to be as good as his brother, you, you, you stole something there, boy. Oh, no question about it. And obviously, UK looking like they're going to add Matt Harms from Purdue as well. We talked about him last week, but a seven foot three shot blocker. I don't look, I think he's being a little bit overvalued right now in the transfer market because I don't think he was all that effective at Purdue. But the one thing he can do is block shots, and we know how much Cal values a guy at the back end of his defense who can erase some mistakes and allow his guards to be more aggressive. So I think it's a perfect fit because they need the front court depth. Yeah, they, yeah, they've got enough enough firepower coming in offensively that if he does that and just plays garbage role, you've you've got a nice get. Yeah, no question. All right, Skinny ESPN aired the first two episodes of The Last Dance. It's ten part miniseries on the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls Sunday night. The first two episodes were basically an introduction to Jordan's early days and to shed light on the tensions boiling inside the organization with GM Jerry Krause. And then the second episode was all about Scottie Pippen. What was your takeaway from the first two episodes of The Last Dance? I, 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 I didn't know that whole Scottie um, uh, non-surgery issue. I, I don't remember that. And I, dude, I was in my 30s when that season was being played. I just don't remember that being a huge storyline, I guess. Um, so that that... Isn't it funny how much more surprise. that stuff blows up now? Yeah, right, right. I mean, probably back then it was just, you know, Scotty's hurt and he's going to sit out and nobody thought anything of it, and that was that. And so, yeah, maybe that's the thing in retrospect. That's why it became so newsworthy. I, I felt sorry for Jerry Krause. Um, and I, I know he doesn't come off as a sympathetic figure. He does come off as a guy with Napoleon syndrome, and, and it's always fun to make fun of the fat kid. But Jerry Krause – New basketball. He was he was really good at putting that 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 group together. And yeah, it didn't start with him. It started with Rod Thorne having Michael fall into his lap because even Rod Thorne, who was the GM at the time, admitted that that if he had the number one pick, he would have taken Akeem Olajuwon. And not that that was going to be a bad pick, and not that that didn't work out nicely for the Houston Rockets. But at the end of the day, he was he was not Michael Jordan, so they they got lucky there. But I felt sorry for Jerry Krause. Um, 
but it also shows how much animosity everybody in that organization had for that cat. Yeah, the, the look. I mean, my favorite part of the first two episodes was just all the players, especially Michael, openly ripping him. Yeah, I mean, you want to get the, the layup line with us, Jerry? The, they'll have to lower the rims. The <laughs> utmost disrespect for the guy who is basically in charge. Um, he's your boss. I mean, he technically, he's your boss. He's Phil's boss. He's everybody's boss. Yeah, the, the amount of disrespect to his face was just crazy. I mean, it really was like they were picking on the fat kid with no friends at the at the lunch line. You know, I right. mean, it was no, exactly. it felt very high schoolish um, in that regard. And it was hysterical. At the same time, like the fact that Jerry Krause isn't there to defend himself does yes. feel a little bit cheap because this is all just taking cheap shots at him constantly, making him out to look like a clown. Um, and, you know, Steve Kerr, I think, said it best. He just couldn't get out of his own way. He deserves some credit, but he also couldn't get out of his own way. And uh, I think that's the right way to put it. Yeah, I mean, to, to, t- to tell the head coach who um, – Look, I, I, I always do a jaundiced eye when everybody talks about what a great coach Phil was. I, I think I could be a great coach with that group, and I could be a great coach with Shaq and, and Kobe. But, look, Phil deserves credit, too. I'm not here to tell you he does not um, because it's also about managing the egos. But skinny the things. triangle so, so, offense. Yes, thank, thank you, uh, Tex Winter, because um, he stole that from Tex Winter, too, his assistant. But, anyway, again, Phil does deserve some, some, some credit for that. But uh, for him to go into a coach and say, if you go 82 and 0, you're effing gone, that's insane to me. That's we're, the <laughs> wildest thing to say. I, and, and hell, the one year they almost went 82 and 0 when they went 72 and 10 and arguably could have been 76 and 6 probably uh, that season. To tell a coach go 82 and 0 and you're blank and gone was crazy. The, the one thing, and I, I love small details, Rick. I want to know this. How many times do you think during the one filming where Michael was sitting in the chair and he had that, that glass of bourbon next to him? And it felt like it, it, it was in varying degrees of, of being finished and not finished and finished and not finished. How many times do you think he refilled that, that bourbon glass? Because his eyes looked very, very bloodshot during some of that. His eyes were a little glazed over. Um, also, it looked like he had the alcohol sweats going on at yes, a certain yes, point. He yes. Did, look, Mike, I love the fact that Mike isn't one of those guys who has been, oh, I'm still about the process and my body is a temple and I'm, you know, still keeping up with everything and in perfect shape because, you know, I mean like, like Kobe, for instance, was that type of guy and just, it always felt kind of annoying and I know he's dead now, so we shouldn't talk about him like that. But like, I couldn't relate to Kobe. Michael is the perfect superstar to me. It's like, yep, I made all my millions. I've done what I wanted to do in terms of the NBA stuff. And I'm just, now in the front office, just smoking cigars, drinking alcohol, playing golf. Yell, yell, yelling at my own players. Eating steaks. I mean, like, Mike is living the life off of his celebrity, and I appreciate no that. I no, like how I, he does it. Did you see, uh, by the way, did you see the Rick Pitino comments about when he coached with the Knicks and Michael? I did not. It was, I thought it was great. Um, he said it was, it was when he was coaching the Knicks, and obviously Rick was a, was a young coach then, and, and uh, it was the year the Knicks made the playoffs. And uh, he said at one point, I guess Michael, I can't remember who, one, one of the Knicks players was going off, was scoring, and Michael decided to guard him. And, and he put a finger up to like his, Oh, yeah, the zero. His, yeah, and put the zero up to basically I, tell That Rick, wasn't Patino, that was Calipari. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, you're right. No, yeah, it was, saw, yeah, yeah, it was Calipari, right. yeah. I saw that quote. That, I, I, thought that was, that was, I thought that was fabulous. That yeah, he, was looked, awesome. he, he said, I didn't want to engage him because I didn't want him to know that I knew. So I asked my assistant, what he, what's he doing? He says, I think he's telling us that he's not going to score again. <laughs> That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I will say I'm so happy. The original plan was to have this going on at the same time as the NBA Finals. Yeah, it was going to be in June initially. I'm so happy 
this isn't going on at the same time as the NBA Finals. I agree with you. Because you know what would have happened. The Lakers would have made the Finals. And after each game that LeBron played in, whether he won or lost, whatever, we would have then watched this. Well, I think, and, that, was, I think that was Michael's plan, though, to be quite frank. Oh, I guarantee you it was. And the only thing that we would have discussed online is LeBron-Michael. Yeah, no, right. It's happening enough already. Yeah, I want this to be in its own vacuum because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to chance to be fascinating. And, and look, uh, episode one was slow, but look, you got to set up the storylines, right? So we knew that part was going to happen. That, that filled for See, people that didn't grow up in that era, didn't know anything of it. That was the way to do it. Episode two ramped up. And from what I've read and what I've, I've, I've heard is that these first two episodes are, are probably the, the, the weakest of the 10. If that's the case, I thought episode two was great. Give me more. See, I'm, I'm on, I was on the opposite. I thought the first episode flew mostly because I think we were just excited about it and the, yeah. the montage of stuff. I, was, I liked it. By the time we got like midway through episode two, I was kind of like, huh, all right, this is kind of slowing down here. They're not revealing a whole lot. Um, I hope you're right about what you said, that those are the two weakest episodes because I'm really afraid as we get into this that the best thing about this documentary is going to be the practice footage of Jordan ripping everyone's ass because that was hilarious. That was revealing something I've never really seen before, like him yelling at Ron Harper nonstop during that one practice. But I'm thinking they had to pretty much wash any of the other interesting stuff out because Michael had to sign off on it to get him to participate. Yeah, but but, but Michael's also said that he doesn't think he's going to come off looking very good in this. So obviously there's some footage in there that, that probably see, I don't, but Michael, he's uncomfortable with. But see, I think that's just more about like Michael thinks – his public image, he's like O.J. Simpson. He's so detached from what the actual reality is of his image. He thinks, people think he's Mark Madsen, and he's like a Mormon who's never drank or done anything <laughs> before. Because he's telling us, he like went in that hotel room, oh, I wasn't invited. Everyone else had prostitutes and cocaine and everything. He's snitching on all of his former teammates. It's like, I just happened to walk into the room. They're like, what's Michael doing in here? It's like, come on, dude. We, we know, like, we know who you were. You were in that room too, and that's fine. I don't have any. No, no, with no, it. no. Mike went to the next room with 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 with, with the ladies in the in the card game. Yeah, yeah. Michael had his own vices. Yeah, he had, he had to gamble. They didn't have enough uh, betting going on in that room. But yeah, like, I, I will say, t- ten parts is a lot. A ten part documentary is really really long. You better have some stuff in there. And yes. if it's all going to yeah. be kind of just an hour on each guy, like that Scotty Pippen episode, we got like. Let's be honest, they could have kind of, in terms of the new stuff we found out or the interesting stuff, you could have summed up the, the offseason where he didn't get the surgery that he needed and he came back and, and just said, well, I'm going to get it now instead of playing. And the part about his salary where he's totally underpaid, six pay. Like, I, I don't think a lot of people had the full perspective on that. Those two things were interesting, but that could have been summed up in about 15 minutes. So then yeah, we maybe. had about 45 yeah. minutes of really nothingness of people just kind of talking about Scottie Pippen and, Scottie Pippen, who's the biggest bore of all time um, in terms of a quote, it's not very good TV to me. I'm afraid the rest of it's going to be like that. I'm very interested to see the Dennis Rodman episode. That should be interesting. Yeah, that should be extremely interesting. And by the way, uh, for those that don't know, Ron, Ron Harper was a dude. That, that, when you yeah. see a guy get excoriated like that and you think, ah, it's just a, a schlub, no, no, Ron Harper, before his knees went, was a dude. I mean, he was so good at Miami, it made Miami Redhawks basketball must-watch. And he was so good early in his NBA career in Cleveland uh, that, that he was an all-star caliber player. To, to watch that, it makes you cringe a little, just because I'm like, this isn't like the 13th guy schlub. This was a starter and a guy who could really play at one point in his career. Jordan, and that's the one funny thing, like, 
Jordan, uh, there's the, the shot of them in a uh, pregame huddle before they take the court, and he says something like, I'm not going to tell you all again. Let's go out and get this done, you know, to, saying, like, let's go get a win here. And uh, you kind of see, I think it was Harper, one of the guys, kind of turn out of the huddle and roll his eyes. It's like I, Jordan was so good that he demanded respect from those guys, but I think there's still a lot of the whole kind of thing you have on every high school team where there's the – try hard who thinks he's better yep. than everyone else who's always trying to tell everybody else what to do and guys kind of you better be the best ever for guys to really respond to that and for michael it worked because he was the best ever but i don't think anyone really probably liked playing with him all that much. no it, but, but then the other part too was michael was so good that when michael could say that kind of stuff it didn't matter whether you believed it or went along because michael was going to carry you anyway so what difference did it make Exactly, and, that, and that's sort of my point. It's just like, you better be that good that it doesn't matter because I don't think people really liked playing with him in terms of being a locker room guy. Like, we make him out to be this great leader. I don't know that he was, and the same thing goes for Kobe Bryant. Like, I've always said that about him. I don't think guys liked playing with him, but he was so good that you under, you would play with him. Yeah, it, it is. Just watching that footage and, and, and remember, he just made things look so easy. It was almost like when you'd play maybe Nerf basketball with your buddies and you could do all the stuff at the rim that you always dreamt you could do, right? And you're creating shots and you're dunking through people and it, it, it feels easy, it is easy. He's doing that on a real basketball court with grown-ass men around him. And you just watch, you go, he hangs and then just decides, I'm going to let you go by and I'm going to hang a little longer and then I'm going to bank it off the window here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off from here and I'm going to dunk and you're not going to bother me because I'm going to let you fly by and I'm going to kind of like twist my body just enough. And I'm going to throw down. It's going to look easy. I used to do that in my bedroom playing Nerf basketball. I, just to watch him do that with grown men, I, I don't know if any of us can even appreciate that. Well, I think that, that stood out too because the, the highlight montages of Jordan, was pro- that was probably my favorite part the first two episodes was just seeing some of those old highlights again uh, of him taking over games and a lot of times when I see those highlights now my first thought is I can't believe people really think today's players wouldn't last in this era because the athleticism is so different but when you see Jordan's highlights you go I'd still be one of the best players probably the best player in the game right exactly now. I mean exactly. he's that athletic even by today's standards it's crazy to watch and when I, I again I go back to like the people who say LeBron James wouldn't be effective in the Jordan era, the 80s and 90s. I have no idea what you are smoking. Do you, did you watch those highlight montages? I mean, the guys that Jordan is just dicing up there, their arms are twigs. Their centers yeah, it, the funny part is 100 pounds. Yeah, I mean, diff, different eras because obviously there was way more contact back then, but LeBron's body could handle it. And much like today where it's a free-flowing game, who's checking Jordan in a free-flowing game? Oh no! I look. Jordan would be great in today's era. I'm. The, yeah, no, I know. Not, yeah, I know. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I, when when you do that, and people talk about, like you said, LeBron, how could he last then? I, I think there are some guys today that couldn't go back then because of the physicality. LeBron's not yeah, one of them because he's a grown man. And the in the flip side, Michael today in a game where you can't put a put a hand on anybody. Holy cow! I, I'm not sure how he doesn't go for forty every night. I would. I totally agree with that. Jordan would dominate in today's era, but this idea of like somehow these guys were so. I get it. You were allowed to foul, but I mean, you fouled hard, but they still called it, and guys acted like Ste- they were tough. Steph they Curry would afterwards. be. Steph Curry would be dead. No, he wouldn't. He would. Yes, he would. I love Steph Curry. He'd be dead. Dudes. These guys are so. Oh, skinny. Did you watch what Jordan is playing hey. with them? He's poking a basketball around their head and then going around them. It's embarrassing how bad some of these dudes are. Rick Mahorn would have eaten 
Steph Curry, much the, like Carol Baskin's husband, got eaten by that tiger. We're not, we're not going into that. Uh, Skinny, the last dance, of course, brought up an obvious question across each city in our country. If you could get a miniseries on any Cincinnati sports story or topic, what would you choose? I got a couple because I'm watching them right now on, on ESPN. I'd love to know that that Chad Johnson, Carson Palmer, Marvin Lewis early era of, of Bengals when they were just emerging into a playoff team, just how much crap went on behind the scenes. I'd love to see that. And I'd it love culminates, to see- it culminate, all, culminates in the Kimo Von Allhoffen game yes. with the locker yes. room fight at halftime and everything that was said. I'd love to watch that. That's definitely on my list. Yeah, I, you know, I, I know people would talk about they'd love to know the, the complete behind the scenes of Pete Rose and the gambling. I think, we've, I think that's been exposed to the point where we know enough about that, right? Yeah, I'm sure. See, there's enough people still around. If there's any behind-the-scenes footage from back then where you could get a good quote or two, I think that would still be really good because I'm sure there's so many stories of Pete. Well, I, he I doesn't think, care about his brand, so people could tell him. He'd sell his soul. I think you'd point. have to go back to, to actually some – because my, my uncle knew a guy who booked for him back in the 70s. Um, I, I think you'd have to go back to even then of, of, of not just – you'd actually have to further the story of Pete's gambling by going backwards into – was he gambling as a player? And, and yeah. can we get people to talk about that? I think that part would be would be interesting but to Pete, me. Pete would sign off on anything. So that's the good. As long as he's getting paid. Exactly. Yeah, as long as he's getting But it doesn't require a whole lot of money considering the, the bookings he takes now. So, And, and I guess even though we, we've heard anecdotal stories from players – I do think the hugs you see years would be interesting to me. Yeah, I think everyone, right? Like, hugs is as big of a figure as there's been in Cincinnati sports. I think everyone would like to, one, reminisce on the Jordan eras of UC, those jerseys, the way he recruited to Conference USA, like just that sort of badass brand and attitude they had, and then how it came crumbling down in such a tremendous fashion and how much Huggins absolutely hates you see now he said on a podcast recently that he he roots for xavier in the crosstown shootout now it's crazy <laughs> just crazy <laughs> so i i mean yeah I, I would definitely be interested in that i think the brian kelly era at cincinnati would be a good one too i mean to rise to that national prominence yeah. so quickly and then him just piss off everybody on the so, way so out here's the, I, I, I want to go back to hugs for a second so do we end the the, the, the episode with him puking on stum- a stump st- Stumbling. Well, I was gonna say I thought maybe stumbling back here for that reunion and then showing him passed out at the Holy Grail. Yeah, I think that's what you do. <laughs> or is that where you start? Is that is that how it starts? <laughs> yeah, I think it opens with that scene of him at the Holy Grail with his eyes half open and a bunch of former players around him. That'd be a great opening to it. Oh my goodness. Um, so my big one, and I've wanted to do this. Like we we need you know Chris Mack has now moved on. Mick Cronin has moved on. I think we're getting to the point where this is is going to be a doable thing. We need the crosstown shootout rivalry with the focus being the boiling point in 2011 that led up to it. I, I, honestly, I, I think somebody, I think you should do it. I'm ser- and I'm serious about that. I could do I think a full it is, I think it's still, I th- I think it's still is fresh enough. Yeah, I think it's fresh enough. Um, all the players are still in, you know, involved. They're still alive. They're still around. But they're also done enough- playing. Yeah, my point is you've got enough time between it now where guys aren't going to care what they say, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. for, for a while, if you'd have done no it one could say the anything. year after, yeah, right, nobody was going to say anything about it. I think now everybody would. Now, this, the issue is you still have, like, the people that – the powers that be at, like, Xavier, who were – a lot of them were still involved at that time, and they, they're not going to go on record because they don't want this to be talked about and drudged back but up, there's which enough, I understand. There's, there's enough you can tap dance around. I mean, you could even – 
further with with JP Makura and Mick, right? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's so much meat on that bone from the rivalry as a whole. I'm sure there's so many good old timer stories that we still haven't heard yet. Uh, every time someone does one of those interviews with those guys, like I mean, I think every year, like Lance or Mo will have a sit down with multiple former players, and every time it happens, I hear a new story about something that happened leading up to the games or something that happened the summer before in open gyms at one of the two schools. Always fascinating stuff to me that that rivalry is the best thing in Cincinnati sports to me. One of the best rivalries in the entire country. I I think you couldn't go wrong with doing a a full mini series on it. And again, with the focus being what led up to the 2011 brawl. One one other one to touch on, and I probably doesn't have many legs because it's so long ago would be why didn't, Cincinnati keep an NBA franchise yeah oh that would be a great Cincinnati Royals just in itself is fascinating to talk about the the stars that came through here yeah yeah no doubt in in the 60s yeah some of the guys that you had in Cincinnati as NBA players I mean uh, that that's still it's it's hard to talk about because I wish we had an NBA team so bad yeah no and that's that's the thing is is to think that this 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 was an NBA market at, at one point and the funny part was when there were what? I'm doing this off the top of my head, Rick. 16 NBA teams at the time? Yeah, I think that's right. And Cincinnati had one of them and a really good one. Yeah, I mean, they had arguably the greatest player of all time. Sands, whatever era you want to look at. Yeah. All right, well, this kind of uh, piggybacks off the last stance a little bit, but it does get into our uh, submitted questions from social media. So uh, someone says that Roaring needs to defend his ridiculous take on Scottie Pippen. I didn't want to drag down our conversation about the last dance with this, uh, but I will. I, I tweeted out that I think Scottie Pippen is insanely overrated as a player, um, and I, that triggered a lot of people. As How many titles did Michael win without Scottie Pippen? <laughs> You're right. He played, well, on, he played on five championship teams, started on five championship teams, Skinny. So, um, look, I, when Michael Jordan calls him the best teammate, I, that, that, that's all I need to know. And I guarantee you Michael Jordan feels that way about him because he's the one, his contract for seven years at $2 million a year allowed them to, to make the roster that they made alongside Jordan so that he could win those titles. I do like I'm the sure fact Jordan that, loved that. I do like the fact that the owner said, don't sign it, don't sign it, don't sign it. The owner tells him, don't sign it. Yeah, people that feel bad for Scottie Pippen being an absolute cuck and a total simp when it came to his contract, I don't wow. understand at all. I mean, wow. his, his agent has gone on to prove that he's one of the best agents in the world. He wasn't the issue. I'm sure he was telling him not to sign it. The, the owner was telling him not to sign it. Pretty much everyone said don't sign it. And for some reason, Scottie Pippen thought he needed to lock himself into a seven-year contract. So, right, so Scottie Pippen is a talent you don't believe in, or you just no, think he's so just, a, just a wuss for that contract? No, it's not that I don't believe him. This is where people misinterpret what I'm saying. Well, Scottie Pippen is probably a Hall of Fame player, okay? Like, I don't think Scottie Pippen is bad. He was great. The issue is we can't leave it at that. He would maybe to probably be a Hall of Famer just on his numbers. When you factor in what he did in terms of winning with those Bulls dynasties, he's definitely a Hall of Famer, okay? So let me get that out of the way. It's not that I think Scottie Pippen's bad and I'm trying to take anything away from him. However, it, it can't just be that. It always has to be he was the best perimeter defender of all time. Like, you never heard of Sam Jones or Gary Payton or Ron Artest or name a bunch of other – like, he's or, not, Or okay? Michael Jordan. Or Michael or, 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 he wasn't even the best perimeter defender on his team, right? Like, he was good. He was a great perimeter defender. But then it's always like, uh, he's the best number two of all time. J.A. Donde said that. 
Anthony Davis is a freaking number two right now. Are we being serious about that? I mean, that's a, don't get me wrong. Anthony Davis was a number one. So even if you want to make that argument that he was the best did, guy who was did, only a number two, that's did, did still the, not. Did the Lakers win the title this year? Wait a minute. Did the Lakers win the title this year? Relax. Did you already give that to him? I mean, do you want to argue if Anthony Davis or uh, Scottie Pippen is the better player? We but here's the, thing, here's, the, here's the thing about a number two, though. I mean, a number two sometimes needs to know he's a number two. I think, and, and accept that fact. I think that's gone really well in L.A. so far, if you were yeah, watching. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it would have gone in the playoffs. Okay, but aside from that, then it, then it has to be, well, he was the second best player in the NBA after Jordan during that era. He was yeah, never even a top five yeah, player I, I, in the I, NBA, I, I probably not even a to top that. 10. People yeah. say he's a top 50 player of all time. He was never even a top five player during his era. And we have tons of years of NBA basketball. I I guess the argument to that, I, I, yeah, the top five and whatever in that year is, is, is insane. The only argument I would say is on another team, does he get more shots that put up numbers that make you change your mind? See, I totally disagree. I well, think if he asking. wasn't around Jordan, his numbers are worse. I think he was much better because of Michael Jordan. I don't think he one ever has the confidence if Charles Oakley isn't smacking him in the face and Michael isn't dragging him to be the player that he is because he was clearly a total cuck. If you saw on that, that episode, he's letting Charles Oakley smack him right in his face. He's well, Charles Oakley's a Charles Oakley's a goof too for two million dollars. I mean, like the guy is the guy is soft. He was not built to be a star. Jordan dragged him there through his greatness. Now, Scottie Pippen, the one thing he's criminally underrated is a passer. He was a phenomenal passer, and people don't talk about that enough. But like the dude shot thirty-two percent from three-point range. We would look at him and be like, he's a three and D guy who can't defend. What sense does that make? Oh, right, like yeah, I, I mean, I think though, and in, in defense of this a little bit, the, the era, the era probably didn't promote you working on your three point game as much as this era does too. I mean, there were. I mean, that was a mid range. You, you gotta agree that was a mid range era. They didn't shoot as many threes because they didn't understand basic mathematics, but there were still a lot of guys who shot better than thirty two percent. There were a lot of great shooters from that era. You ever heard of Glenn a lot Rice? of great, a lot of great mid range shoot? Good. Yeah, a lot of great mid range shooters though. I mean, that was a mid range era, right or wrong. It was a mid range era. Okay, but he, right or wrong, he was not a high percentage shooter for mid range or three point range. So he he did not shoot a high percentage as a scorer. Now he was a, he was an effective scorer. He was a good athlete. He was a great defender and a great passer on Michael Jordan's team, which I imagine was pretty easy to be a good passer on. But again, he was a great passer. I just get it. Like, all I'm saying is people better have this same energy when they talk about Paul George in years to come, okay? Because I don't think anyone's going to be calling Paul George a top 50 player of all time or talking about how great or criminally underrated Paul George is. Like, for some reason... I mean, tell us Paul George got... None, but he's the same. None. Like, but we're talking about what type of player they are. He's like the same player as Scottie Pippen. If he played with Michael Jordan, do you not think Paul George would have the similar career? Of course he would. If he played with LeBron James, same thing. All I know is Scottie's got, 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 got rings that, that Michael don't. And so does Robert Ory. Like, is Robert Ory better than Scottie Pippen because he has two more rings than him? No, of course big, not. Like, that's big a shot Bob, baby. They call him Big Shot Bob for a reason. I love Robert Ory. I'm a Spurs fan. I'm just saying, like, the people love to romanticize Scottie Pippen. They they are so it's this weird thing where it's like Scottie Pippen because he isn't Michael Jordan. Everyone wants to be the first. You one just want to be how con- good he was. You just want to be a contrarian about Scottie Pippen is what you want to be. Not at all. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I just don't think we should. We have to speak in hyperbole about a guy who was a great player, but not ever the second best player in the NBA or a top five player of his era or a top fifty player of all time. Like he's just great. He's Clay Thompson. He's Paul George. That's what he was. I look. I, I for me, he he's as good a number two as there's ever been because he knew what a number two was. 
He was a cuck. Exactly. I totally agree with that. He was fine being a beta. That's great. Uh, some people got to be the beta. Right. But you exactly. But that does not ever make you a top five player in the NBA. Just doesn't. It makes you know. a good sidekick. I don't know if anybody's ever, 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 ever clar- classified him as a top five guy. I, I, if, if anybody did, they're silly. It was said, they, multiple people in that, in that documentary literally said that he was the second best player after Michael Jordan. And then people used that on Twitter to like combat me. And I'm like, you think I didn't know what was going to be said about Scottie Pippen by his former teammates? Like, yeah, I, I, of I, course they thought he was good. I, th- I think the guy's a great player. I, I would leave He is a guy. great player. He's a great player. I think Paul George is a great player. They're the same. And Robert Ory made big shots. And Robert Ory was a great player. In the clutch only. Does he? Uh, okay, this is another question off of Twitter. Skinny, do you like giving worse teams the first pick in drafts, or would you rather see the NBA's ping pong bomb model where everyone's got a uh, percentage shot? I think the ping pong model came about because of the possibility of tanking. And, and teams, I think, tanking before tanking became a thing. I think in the NFL, it's just really hard to tank. I, I, I really do. I, I think it's extraordinarily hard to do. Um, the Bengals from last year disagree. Uh, they tried, and they almost couldn't do, do that. I mean, and, and, well, they really didn't. I mean, the, I, it's funny. I was watching Red Zone Channel. They're, they're replaying uh, NFL, uh, what was it, Sunday Red Zone uh, shows in their entirety, and the one from the Bengals-Dolphins was on. I mean, to watch those guys continue to grind, they were – they, if they lost that game, they clinched the first overall draft pick, and they were busting their ass to try to make the comeback of comebacks. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't like the ping pong ball. It wore its novelty out for me very quickly. I, I, I get why the NBA does it, um, and they keep tinkering with the formula because they still don't seem like they can come up with it because teams still tank and multiple teams tank. Uh, on a regular basis. I, I think the NFL models worked out well for the NFL. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I don't really care either way, to be honest, because I kind of agree with you that the NFL is just different from the other sports. But I, I do we're, think... Where we're one guy can't make a difference. In the NBA, one guy probably can't make a difference. But if you go well, back I to do. back years, but one, one or two guys together can make a huge difference. So I, I think one guy can definitely make a difference in the NBA. I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't you. think one guy's going to take you from 17 wins to a playoff team. Uh, unless you get LeBron. That. Okay, maybe. Unless you get LeBron, because he's done that with a few different teams now. Um, I, 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 I like the NBA's model for the NBA. It wouldn't bother me if the NFL switched that model, because I do think it gives you a little less incentive to tank. At the same time, you're still like the NBA still has plenty of teams tanking. So it's not like it's, uh, it's eliminated that by any means. No, it, it almost feels like it's furthered it. And, and that's why they, they keep tinkering and trying to figure out a way, and it, it still isn't stopping it. Yep. Uh, Skinny, what is your favorite set of NFL uniforms? And then they said, what about your favorite uniforms in sports, period? Well, those new Charger ones are sweet for, for sure. And I, I always liked when the Chargers brought back the, the powdered blue years ago. I, I, I still think those, those to me, are, are the best NFL ones. I, I'm one that – I don't know why I'm, I'm a sucker for that. I love the old Tampa Bay Buccaneer creamsicles. I, I know I'm probably I on an island with that. No, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, 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 for whatever reason, I always love those. But no, I'm I'm going with the 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 Chargers combinations now that they've put out. The, the, and they literally just did it yesterday to put an homage to the recent past, the Dan Fouts era Chargers, the powder blue ones, back to the old AFL yellow pants Chargers. Man, I I think they're going to look sweet. The combinations they've got, and I'm not a big uniform guy by any stretch. Uh, I usually don't care what teams wear or look like. Those are sweet to me, though. What about your favorite uniforms in sports? Period. 
All time. I know, yeah, it's going to sound stupid, and you're going to probably rub my nose in it. The Yankees, man, because it's just the history of it. It's the, it's the Yankees. It's because I can, I can watch the Yankees guys today in those pinstripes and go, it's what Babe Ruth wore. Same exact thing. I, I think that's great. I think I, I love that. I, I, I don't I love, I love, I love, I love Michigan's. I, I think Michigan, you know, stay true to your, to your heritage. I, I, Penn State, stay true to what you were. As a, as a Kentucky grad, every time they wear those damn gray silver helmets, I want to cringe because it's not, silver's not one of the colors. Stop it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm with you on the Yankees thing from the standpoint of there's something to be said about the tradition and it just being a classic look and that it just it's timeless. And so you get points for that. I just don't like the overall look. It's just kind of boring to me. That being said, I'm a big pinstripes guy overall. Like the Bulls pinstripes uniform and the Magic's pinstripe uniforms are two of my favorites, period, in any sport. Yeah, I like the magic when they when they first when they first did that back in the Shaq era, and and obviously they've continued with it. I thought that those because I don't think anybody was really doing that then, were they? No, definitely not as much. Uh, the Bulls pinstripes were right around. I mean, they were like what ninety yeah. six, some like mid nineties. Yeah. Uh, those yeah. were great too. But the Bulls script before that that we saw in the documentary. Those what about the nice. old? What about the old Seattle SuperSonics? You see, those were cool-looking jerseys, especially now. Like, I think I appreciate them now when we go back and look, and we go, well, it's kind of a cool-looking uniform. The problem is just, like, green and yellow. It's so loud. Like, as a kid, I remember I, I never wanted to wear one of those uniforms because it's like, what am I going to wear green and yellow around? You know, it's like, it's <laughs> the, weird. The, the old Houston Astros uh, Hawaiian-themed unis? I'm not big on those. I know a lot of people like those. Um, you know, another one in the timeless category, where kind of like the Yankees, I'd give Notre Dame football. I've always thought it's cool. Yeah, I'll give you that. The gold yeah. helmets, I always like that. And North Carolina, just the Carolina the powder blue, blue. Is, will always be one of the top. Um, Georgetown in the 90s, the, when they went to the Kente cloth-inspired trim, love those uniforms. Georgetown's uniforms now are an absolute disaster, and it's stunning because they have one of the greatest looks of all time. Whether you go back yeah, to the 80s or you go to the, the 90s. 80s Georgetown unis were, yeah, the 80s Georgetown unis, they brought fear to you, maybe just because they were that good, but it's just you saw that kind of that grayish grayish or bluish color combination depending on what they wore, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're mean looking. Yeah, like that matte gray. It wasn't, you know, it was like real flat. And But then they just added like the Kente cloth trim to it in the 90s, which was amazing too. I love their uniforms. And then finally, locally, the Xavier Running Man Fobacks are <laughs> elite. I love those uniforms. The ones I hated the most of all time were when Kentucky had the denim ones. Remember the denim? <laughs> those were so awful. So, so bad. Were those just so bad. That and the, and the ones with the kind of the claw down the front, I didn't uh, like those either. Yeah, I, I did like the claw shorts, though. I had a pair of those claw shorts, did actually. You really? I wasn't even a UK <laughs> fan. I just had them, and I uh, loved those shorts. Yeah, yeah I, 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 one, one other I forgot, Alabama's too, because Alabama's is, is, is a classic uniform-looking football. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, this, was, this has been actually asked multiple weeks, and I, I haven't gotten to it. Um, do you know your worst gambling beat of all time, or at least have a really good <laughs> gambling beat story? I've, I've got two of them. One of them actually is in a, is, is, is a, in a book. It's called The Odds by Chad Millman. I, I don't know if you know who Chad Millman is. I do not. He, now, uh, he, he did a, a book back in the late 90s. He went to Vegas and kind of spent a, a year chronicling some gamblers um, in the gambling industry. And he now actually, I think he's the head of the Action Network, which is a gambling site. It's a good book. But in, in the book, it, it details one of the gamblers in one of his worst beats. And this was, this was by far mine. I've got two of them. This is one of the two. This was back in the, uh, oh my gosh, I want to say 89-ish, 90-ish, somewhere around there, where, you know, you didn't have all these games on, you didn't have scores in real time, so you'd, you'd kind of like look at, at, 
at the ticker at the bottom of ESPN and, and occasionally, you know, it would flash up the score and that's kind of how you held your breath or you could call an 800 score line and they would update the scores every so often. So this was in the era of, of Dennis Eckersley never, never blowing a save. Eck never blew a save. I mean, Eck was money. And so I was down big and I put a big play on the, on the athletics on this given night. And uh, I'm watching the ticker and they're up three to two going to the bottom of the ninth. And the ticker keeps going through and keeps going through and keeps going through. And I continue to see three to two and continue to see three to two. And I'm thinking, man, this is making me sweat terribly. Next thing I see, they lose four to three. Eck gave up a two run homer with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. In an era where Eck never blew a save. And it was so funny when I read that book, The Odds, and one of the gamblers details one of his worst beats of all time being that I had to laugh out loud. I thought, well, at least I got good company here because that, that was a brutal one. Uh, another one I had, this was in the, gosh, probably late 90s, mid, I guess mid 90s because my oldest daughter was, was really young and it was Christmas time and we were putting the tree up as a matter of fact. So I had a game on in the background. It was Minnesota and I wish I could tell you who Minnesota was playing. But um, anyway, the, 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 the win was, was never in doubt. The game was over. But Minnesota, I believe was, I think I was laying – eight and a half or nine, whatever the number was. And a guy had just made a free throw to push, the, push it to, to like, I think it was two, yeah, push it two points above the, the point spread where I felt comfortable with literally one second to go, right? And in today's era, they would just inbound it, drop the ball and walk off the floor. Well, back then they didn't do it. They <laughs> slung it to midcourt. They let my guy take a midcourt shot as I'm, as I'm hanging an ornament. I watched my man sail one from midcourt, swish at the buzzer. He makes it. I lose <laughs> I lose the play by a by a point and probably drop the ornament and shatter it all over the place. Yeah, um, I bet that trimetry party went. That was well. not good. Yeah, those and those 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 are ones that that uh, that that probably turned me into a lesser of a gambler than I am t- today for sure. <laughs> uh, this coming from our very own. Gen- well, hang on, I've, I've got I've got one for a friend oh. of mine, and I, I don't oh, think okay. you mind me telling my my former radio partner Tom Gamble. Um, he had one from back in in I think it was the eighties. When a team scored a touchdown to pull within, he needed the he needed the extra point to cover, and they scored with like two seconds to go on the clock to to win the game, and he needed the extra point to cover. The fans rushed the field, tore down the goalposts, and they just said, "That's it, the game is over," and he didn't get a chance to kick the extra. That point. is brutal. That's a bad one. That's one of the worst I've ever heard. Period. Yeah, that's a brutal one. Ah, oh, man, that's tough. Yeah, I, I don't have a great, like, personal gambling beat that I can think of, but the one uh, where Najee Marshall hit that buzzer beater this year to cut whatever the, the line was. That, you that know, was Nova, right? Was that, no, not, no, no, that was, was Butler. Butler. Yeah, Butler. Yeah. I was, remember that. I remember the number that night. Yeah, guy crumbled to the floor right there. Uh, <laughs> and they'll sit in the front row. You just knew he had the number. And exactly. It was right. a totally meaningless three, too. Uh, they cut it from, like, what six to four or, so, or six to three or something like that. Something. And that's where anymore, if you, if you watch crowds, especially basketball more so than anything else at the end of games, when somebody takes one of those meaningless shots and they show a quick crowd shot, you can occasionally spot a guy or two that, 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 that affected significantly, right. As they, as they pan that crowd shot, you can just tell you that guy just won because of that. Cause he's acting too exuberant for a meaningless shot or the guy who has his head lowered. He's got the state colors on his team has won the game. And yet he's somehow dejected by that last shot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, cut it from uh, from uh, eight point loss to a five point. Right, loss. exactly. <laughs> Just brutal. All right. Uh, this comes from our very own Jen Dalton. I'll say, did do you watch The Office? Oh yeah. 
Okay, well, maybe you'll get this because I'm pretty sure this is an office meme. I don't watch The Office, but I've, I think I've seen this. She said, which bear is the best? I think that's a meme from The Office, right? I don't know. Yeah, that, that part, I don't, I, that, that I don't know. I don't, I don't know that reference. Right, well, then just give me your favorite bear. My favorite bear, Yogi. <laughs> that's a pretty good answer. I could have said uh, Ditka. I, I, I guarantee in Chicago, the answer to that would be Ditka. That's, that's pretty good. I would, um, I'm going I'm a, Yogi, man. I'm a Kodiak guy. Why? Why the Kodiak? Just most fierce. It's the toughest bear. I thought. I thought polar bears were the most fierce. Yeah, right the up. The, right up there with them. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I, yeah. Like I said, I'm going with Yogi. Yogi. Yogi knew how to steal picnic baskets. All right. And he, and he had a great sight. He had a great Scotty Pippen. He called him Boo Boo. <laughs> Boo Boo is the best number two bear of all time. People. Yeah, there's no, there's. He is. He's under. He, he was underrated as, as a underrated. basket stealer. Yeah. He was a Hall basket stealer. Bear. Yep. No question. Yep. All right, Skinny, what is your favorite beer? Oh, man. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a in, a, in a bar, I love a bass out of, out of the tap, but uh, I usually, I'm a, I'm a high, as you know, because you've bought it for me on Losing Bets before, uh, I'm a Heineken guy for the most part. I don't know why, I just, I've, I've always liked that beer. Does it matter, you know, draft can bottle? Do you have like preferences? Oh, no, I'm a draft. Yeah, no, I'm a draft guy. If I'm in a bar, it's, 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 it's absolutely draft. But does your preference change between the formats? You know what I mean? Like, do you like one beer better on draft, but another better at the bottle? Mm. Or is it all always Heineken? You know, it's funny. I'm not sure I've ever had a Heineken draft. I I, I usually have had it either out of a can or out of a bottle. And not every bar carries bass. So, and look, you know me, I I, I can, I mean, in fact, I've got a 30 pack of, of, of Natty Lights right now in the fridge just because I'm a cheapskate. Yeah, you um, can drink the cheapest I, of them. Uh, yeah, I can, I can drink a cheap beer and I can, you can get me the best IPA known to mankind and I'll drink that as well. I'm not, not overly picky, but the only thing I can't drink is, is, is dark beer. I can't like do like a Guinness. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a big, I, I, I can do it if, if somebody bought it and said, hey, I want to celebrate with a Guinness with you and I drink it because I could drink it, but I, yeah. And I'm more consumption over, over sipping kind of a guy. So, Likewise. So, you know, I, I can't have like those heavy beers sitting on me, you know, three or four of those heavy beers. It's just, it's not the buzz factor. I can get the buzz factor off of Natty Lights for goodness sakes. It's the, it just, <laughs> it just doesn't sit right. And I just don't like the taste of it for the most yeah. part. Yeah. No, it's hard. I'm with you on that. I, I don't How about like- you? But I'm not big on the dark beers as much either, although I can do those easier. I can't do the IPA. So that's just the, the, the longer I go with this stuff, I'm with you. I, I end up, the, I the funny part of IPAs, the, 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 it feels like everybody brews them with grapefruit and the grapefruit smell gets to me occasionally. Oh, see, I actually like grapefruit, but I don't, I do not like one, the taste of IPAs very much. Almost not, all of them are too hoppy for me. But even if I, I don't mind the taste as much, it's like, it's just too much. It's too heavy. It's, I, I'm, I'm going to drink too many of them for it I to would, be an appropriate no, it, situation. It is funny. I, I will say this. When I'm on the, on the road traveling and people will make fun of me when I order Bud Light in a bar and they're ordering something, something sweet, yeah, if hate you that. will, um, which is fine. It doesn't bother me at all. Occasionally, just so I, I don't get – and I'm 50-something years old and still feel peer pressure enough to order a stupid IPA in a bar. I just – you're right. I can't do more than a couple of three of them. It's just – and then so I switch back to Bud Light or Scotch at that point. I mean, I just can't do it. Mine is Summer Trip from Braxton right now. That is well, my favorite that. Is it good? by far. Well, I don't know if you'd like it because it's more of like a tart, sour. Like, Does it have like a lemony? It's a wheat beer with like fruit. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, it seem, seems more like a grapefruitish taste with it. It's like that's sour yeah, and tart and refreshing. I, and you drink a billion of them. I go back to one of the great stand-up comedians of all time, Dennis Leary, who said, and he made fun of those snooty beer drinking people, I want to drink beer-flavored beer. Flavored beer. 
That's what I like. Beer flavored beer. Period. Yeah. End of story. Oh, that's how I am too. Look, if, if like if it comes down to it, I'm going Miller Lite over like an IPA or a Porter or a Stout any now, time. It, but it's, it's funny you say that. This is kind of like Pepsi and Coke to me. I cannot drink Miller Lite. Yeah, that do, I don't understand that. Bud Light, Miller Lite to me, uh, they don't taste the same. But well, neither one I'm of them taste. To, they don't have much taste. They're well, I, I, have a, I, have a good fr- I have a good friend of mine who used to be a, a distributor of Pabst and Old Style and that, and we're still golfing buddies to this day. He's now retired. And um, we would always, not always, probably every other year, me and him and a couple other guys would make a sojourn to Chicago for a, for a weekday, usually a weekday series just because of the craziness of Chicago, a weekday Red series when the Reds would go up. And to his credit, he, he, he would always buy – beers as long as we drink old style or, or paps and I, I was good with that and he's a great guy i don't want to patronize his business but one night we're sitting in a bar in chicago and i said he said skinny he goes i'm gonna get you beer you want a paps i said i said tom i said honestly i said I, I i gotta have a bud light i just gotta have it you don't know the difference between i said yes i do so he knew the bar owner and i said i'll tell you what i'm gonna turn around and i said i want you to pour me i said just make it a shot glass full size i want a bud light a Miller Light, a Coors Light, and a Pabst. Put them down, and I will blind taste test those, and I will tell you exactly what each one is. And so my, my friend threw a 20 on the bar. He goes, I'll bet you 20 you can't. I said, I'll bet you 20 I can. In fact, I'll double your price if I don't get each one. So the bar guy did it, stood there while I drank it. Right down the line I went. I went, boom, Coors Light, boom, Miller Light, and I'm going to spit it out. Boom, Bud Light. I said, boom, your stinky Pabst. He goes, son of a guy. I said, yes, I can tell the difference. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be like a one-up or a jerk or anything, but I, I, think, I don't think that's too difficult. I think I could easily do the same. They definitely taste different. I just I don't understand people who, who can do one but not the other. To me, it's like Cincinnati Chili where people yeah, are I like, can't, oh, I can't Skyline's do- so good, but Gold Star is awful. It's like, okay, I like Skyline a little bit better, but I'm going to eat all of them. Same yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to eat all of them too, but I, but I do have my, I would have my preferences for sure. Well, sure, and, and I yeah. like Miller Lite over Bud Light and Natty Light and the others, but they all are in the same genre. Like, I'm gonna, I can drink any of them. I've gone to a bar, I've gone to a restaurant and ordered a Bud Light and the guys accidentally pulled a Miller Lite and I take a sip and I said, I've said many a times, hey, I don't want to be a snob about this, Chief. I said, but this is a Miller Lite. He goes, yeah, that's what you order. I said, no, Bud Light. And he looked down and he goes, How'd you know that was a Miller Lite? Because I know the taste of it. Yeah, they taste totally. I totally get that. They definitely taste different. I agree with you on that. But uh, it's like Pepsi and Coke. I can't drink Pepsi. I used to drink Pepsi when I was a kid. I can't drink it anymore. Yeah, Pepsi and Coke. I, I agree. I think those are uh, two very different soft drinks. But the beer thing, I, I don't really understand. Um, all right, this I have no idea how this question is going to go or how to even approach it. But someone said, "Give us your local sports personality power rankings." including TV, radio, social media, players, et cetera. So I guess we can choose anyone involved in sports locally. Um, I don't think we can actually rank these people, but maybe we can throw out some of our top personalities that like would be in the mix. Um, and I don't know if this is all time or just current, so that would certainly play a role. Because like, no, so, so you, 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 you go ahead and set the parameter then. What's the parameter? Well, what do you want to do? All time or current? Let's, let, do, let's do current. current. Okay. I, I, I'll go current. I'm good with current. Um, first of all, does Chad Johnson still count? Because I still would have him probably up there. <laughs> just like I him said, telling just, Joe Burrow he effing loves him, and like <laughs> he just still is relevant to me in Cincinnati, which is yeah. Incredible. I I will be honest with you. I probably put three to five Chad Johnson stories on our website during the course of a year. So apparently, he's still relevant enough for me to think it gets clicks, right? Yeah, I, all-time great personality in Cincinnati. He's still relevant. I think he's a I, clown. I, I think he's an absolute clown, but, uh, he, but is he is a, a bit, personality. But he's enjoyable. Yeah, uh, Marty Brenneman. Far. Marty Brenneman is definitely top five. That's a good call. Uh, that's a definitive call. Um, current, right? I mean, does yeah. Hugs count as current still? 
Yeah, see, like that's that's one I would have said. Like, if we're going all time, Huggins is definitely in there just because he's a. But I, I think you would. I think I'd include him as current just because he still matters in Cincinnati. If I mean, hell, UC fans will still get mad. No, the if he's the funny up. part is right now, as far as sports figures go in this town, and and I'm not. You know me, man. I I think sometimes clown shows are clown shows. Um, there aren't a lot of big personalities in this well, town right now, and moment, we have zero personalities in the coaching ranks. Right. All three, all three local basketball teams are pretty tame. Um, both. I mean, Mar- Marvin was a big personality because he was a jackass. But he no, he had no personality. I mean, he was he had he none. Was, but but Marvin was extraordinarily relevant for a lot of people for whatever right. reason, just because of the way he. I mean, Marvin's press conferences were must listen because they were so bad. Yeah. Well, okay, that's that's fair. But I would have, but I would have ranked him like he would have been at the bottom of my power rankings. So it would have been relevant, but he would have been like the very last one. Cause he's so bad as a personality. Yeah. Um, there's just, but Zach there's Taylor, just a lot of big ones. Zach Taylor's nice. No personality. No personality. Um, very extraordinarily nice. I, I'll tell you what. And I mean it sincerely, just from a dealings perspective as a coach, I thoroughly think he's a decent person. And I don't say that about a lot of coaches. I think a lot of them yeah. are, are blank heads. I, I think he's just a really good guy. I think a lot of people feel that way, but he certainly doesn't come off as like a character or no, anything or a no, big personality. Correct. correct. Um, I mean, I think it trends more towards media people right now, and I don't know that there's a. And there's not of, a lot of big, per, yeah. There's not a lot of big personalities there. We've I mean, we've lost some of the the nut job. I mean, hell, probably it was in your heyday was the biggest group of personalities. You had you and Gamble on at the same time. You had Cutler. You had Greg Doyle, Furman, Furman. <laughs> that was probably like the the golden era of media personalities. I, I'd say like out of the guys that still exist, Mo Egger I would put in there just as the ultimate like have a beer guy with. Yeah, I, I was saying, I, I'm really happy for Mo because uh, I knew Mo when he was literally a, a, a board op producer for Jim Scott who came up through the business and just watched him evolve kind of like yourself. Um, I, I think it's really gratifying to watch what, what guys like that have done. Yeah, without doubt. Um, he's from a different uh, TV station, but I don't think that matters. George Vogel is definitely in my top uh, personalities, <laughs> guys to get a beer with. Hey, listen, he is, he is, he is truly one of the best guys to have a beer with guy there is he's a piece of work <laughs> absolutely so i've got him in the power rankings who am i missing out on there's got to be a couple there, here. There, i mean they're really i mean the funny part is there just aren't and you mentioned i mean a lot of the coach i mean mick was a personality right just because he was always so angry but he's not around anymore yeah i mean john's not a personality darren horn's not a personality travis isn't a personality although again i thought travis came off on that access pretty pretty good he's got that kind of squeakyish goofy voice right um <laughs> I still think Matt Stainbrook's story about when Steele called him, he was at Western Michigan talking about him, like trying to recruit him as a transfer, and he thought he was like a 70-year-old black man. <laughs> that's a pretty good line. Yeah, he was a 35-year-old 30, white guy. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty good line. Yeah, there just there, there aren't. I mean, just from a media perspective, Joe Daneman's a great guy. I don't know if he's a personality per se. Joe's a yeah. really good reporter and a great guy. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't call Joe a character, but yeah, I mean, right. he's definitely – but out of personalities, I would definitely put Joe up there as like – all, all time him and dan horde would be in like the all-time good guy list yes correct great correct. humans you love to see every time you run into correct. them correct and, and and dan's got that dry dan's got a very dry sense of humor that's really really good yeah i mean dan is like the ultimate guy you want to talk to if you, if no you go question. into a room and it's like you got time to kill if dan horde is there you're like oh good like this is, no this is gonna be a good conversation yep he's a great listener great conversationalist and super super kind yes um, no question no doubt yeah, I mean, I, like, honestly, I don't say this because I think you are one of the bigger characters left that is still involved in local sports. I mean, in and terms I of, like, I don't even a, try to be. I don't, well, I really that's don't the whole point, right? I mean, that's be. the whole point. 
but I think you, I think you will allow that your radio show that you did back in its heyday was as it probably wouldn't even be allowed on air today. Well, I, I, it's so funny because the guy I did the show with, it was an absolute character and still is to this day. And, and everybody always wondered if the whole thing was a put on. Um, you two are that I, way. Cause, cause I did not mind being the straight guy. Cause I think I'm, I'm fairly funny, but I don't mind being the straight guy. And people thought he was an act. I, I would tell you this. I, I need to tape the next time he calls me on the phone just to prove that whatever he did was never an act. He was, he's just a knucklehead. He's, <laughs> he's, he is bipolar. He is neurotic and he's just a funny human being. <laughs> Imagine how crazy someone has to be that you got to play the straight man for him. Correct. Correct. <laughs> because he just, the stuff he said was so outrageous. I mean, listen, you don't have to like my takes or agree with my takes or my opinions. That's fine. I, I, I my opinion's my opinion, your opinion, your opinion. I don't mind that. He was so outrageous that I just had to put him in check a lot of times. And he meant what he said. Oh, you both do. And the fact, that, well, and the fact that he, he, and he's a, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, the guy got a, got his past the law, uh, the law test to go to law school. He's, he's a, he's a self-made guy. He's really a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, but he also can, he, he might be the smartest or the dumbest smart guy I've ever met. I mean, he says <laughs> words that are made up that he doesn't even know what he's saying half the time. And I'd always have to correct him on the usage of certain words like he would, he'd love to use ad nausea instead of ad nauseum. They're two different things. Um, he just, he was, he's just that guy and, and he's just a naturally funny human being. Yeah. I, well, I guess he's still, he does, it's not really sports as much, but he still does a, uh, still show does a general like t- yeah, or something. Yeah. Once a week on Thursdays on, uh, on WLW Thursday nights yeah. from nine to midnight, he and, uh, and Finn from, uh, so, from the EBN days. Yes. Yeah. So I guess we could still throw a gamble in there. He's kind of still around lurking, uh, in, in the shadows once and I've, a week here. But. I've listened enough times where he hasn't changed much. He just no. says, says stuff and hopes it sticks and then walks away and the show's over. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I wish we could come up. I mean, but like the fact of the matter is one of the most interesting athletes in Cincinnati, maybe the most interesting athlete in Cincinnati right now is Joey Votto, who is about as boring as you can get. He's kind of inch. I mean, Trevor Bauer, maybe. Honestly, I think Trevor, Trevor Bauer, Bauer maybe. That's a good Trevor, Trevor Bauer's a good one. That's a good call. I, I, I kind of forgot about him. He may be, I mean, he hasn't been here long enough, but over the next couple of years, if he sticks around, he could be kind of the new big personality in town because I, I will tell you what, we the way we talked about him when he first got here, I was like, this guy's a nut job. He's a loose cannon. The more content he keeps putting out on YouTube and social media, the better. He is winning me over. I, he is a very interesting dude who really thinks a lot about all of this stuff, and he's bringing up some really good points in his content. I'll tell you, as a chance to be interesting, not a, not a character, not a goof, but interesting is Joe Burrow. Yeah, because he's got some swagger. Got yes. like the, this, once yes. he wore the, the, the uh, BDJ hat and he was smoking a cigar for, before his post-game press conference, that was like, okay, this is the guy. This is who we need. He oh, has. and dude, I'm telling you, at the Combine, I thought he hit it out of the park. I, I came away extraordinarily impressed with him at the Combine. He has a presence about him. Yes, yes. I think, like I said, I don't think he'll ever be a goof or a, um, a, a character per se, but I think he's going to take a chance to be really interesting. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. Uh, that's about all I can come up with, though. I don't all think right, man, there's we, a whole we, lot of real characters. We, we went for a while. No, no question about it. All right, we will be back uh, one week from today. Uh, talking about recapping the Bengals in the NFL draft, hoping that we've got some sports to continue talking about. We've continued to fill the void. I mean, actually, our podcasts have been longer. <laughs> during yeah, because all these questions that are getting added onto the. End. I love it. I, I keep, love it, keep yeah. firing away. I I I, I, I like the I like the variety of them for sure. 
Uh, appreciate it, Rick. And uh, we'll talk again next week. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Pope Edition.